And Vince, we've got a very special guest joining us. We do. He is a attorney, a sports legal analyst. He's done so many national shows. He has a terrific uh, legal issue podcast called Conduct Detrimental, uh, which is outstanding. You can learn a lot, and he's a friend of the show as well. Dan Lust joins us. He's on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Dan, Vince, and Jimmy here in Knoxville. How are you, sir? Hey guys, I am good. Always a pleasure to join you. And I, I felt with the uh, the tides of sports law coming to the uh, front page news section, uh, I figured I would get a call uh, pretty soon. I'm, I'm happy to always speak to you guys. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I don't know how you keep up with, with all that's going on, but l- let's start here locally and then we'll get to obviously Deshaun Watson. I know you saw the Aaron Beasley story, the situation with the linebacker that's suspended by Tennessee, uh, accused of animal cruelty. What do you make of that situation? Because it seems it, it definitely appears to be some somewhat unusual in sports uh, for for that kind of accusation. Yeah, I, I saw the story. It definitely came across my, my feed. A couple of people sent it to me. Um, you know, uh, it's it's one of these messy allegations, and maybe the, the most akin version uh, that, that people are familiar with is also obviously the Michael Vick situation. Um, maybe there are some similarities. I don't think Aaron Beasley is quite at that profile. Um, but when it comes to Michael Vick, uh, a guy like that, obviously, you know, I guess it, it bears mentioning Everyone's innocent until proven guilty. These are allegations. Um, I saw the, co- the comments from, from Coach Hupel that basically said we're you know, suspending him until we can conduct this investigation. Um, to the extent that this bears out and he did commit the act that he's um, alleged of, unless you have Michael Vick-level abilities, it's very tough, uh, if not impossible, to come back from something like this. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they're still exploring it. But, you know, right now the charge, animal cruelty, is a Class A misdemeanor that carries just, just under one year in jail. I think it's 11 months. Um, you know, and, and a decent fine. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a very messy situation. And, and I will say, which maybe I don't know if everyone locally is following, there was a GoFundMe that was set up uh, by the, the cat's owner. And I think the news as of today is the cat is back home from uh, the hospital, the vet, wherever the cat was. The cat seems to be making uh, a recovery, but, uh, you know, it seems to be some permanency as to, to what occurred. So with something like that, more so than maybe the legal charge, it would – perhaps be another level of messy with just the, the PR of and, and you know, taking a stance on something against something like that that the university would have, have to weigh. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, playing football, right, it, it's not a, you know, it's just a privilege to play football. It's not an absolute right. And if you do something like this that makes national headlines, uh, it's not just a local issue. I know I, I posted that on, on Twitter and it, and it really took off. A lot of people are interested in this, and, you know, the last thing you want to do when you're, you know, fighting for playing time on a roster, uh, the last thing you want to do is paint the university in this bad light and force their hand. Um, by, the, by no means does Tennessee have a contract with uh, Beasley that requires him to, you know, take this to an arbitration or to a grievance. It's going to be Tennessee's call. So his college football future is in their hands, and he's, you know, put them in a really precarious situation uh, with these allegations. Then regarding Deshaun Watson, the last time I looked, he had like 22 lawsuits against him. Uh, one of the defenses from his attorney, Rusty Harden, is to present uh, people, massage therapists, who have worked on Deshaun Watson that didn't ever, did not feel threatened at all by anything that he did. Is that a strong defense, do you think? 
That is not, uh, we'll put it this way, it's not a legal defense. If you have 20 people that come with allegations that say that, you know, that Watson behaved uh, poorly during a particular massage, and you have 20 people on the other side that said, hey, I conducted a massage uh, with John Watson and nothing bad happened, uh, there is no legal doctrine, as far as I'm aware, that offsets the allegation. So <laughs> I may, maybe there's someone out there that thought that that was, uh, you know, a, a slam dunk. Um, it doesn't really do much. It maybe muddies the waters. Um, you know, and maybe it, it makes an issue of credibility as to the 22 current accusers. Um, and, Jimmy, you have that number right. It's 22 as of today. Um, but, you know, if, if anything, um, this is kind of the narrative, if anything, it maybe raised more questions that a jury might have about Deshaun Watson. Maybe it was strange that someone could have 22 masseuses, um, but it's even a little stranger that someone has 40 masseuses, right, um, <laughs> in, a, in a particularly short period of time. And mind you, as far as I'm aware, none of these individuals worked for the Texans organization, which I'm sure they were masseuses on staff. So it raises a lot of questions, especially with this day and age where, you know, privacy is a concern for athletes to extend that many people into your circle and bring them in. Uh, it just seems to be at odds with how we know uh, athletes tend to be very private. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, we'll say it's a strange strategy, not, not necessarily one that people expected. Yeah, I compared it earlier to uh, somebody robbed a bank and then they brought in front of them, well, here are 10 other banks, and they said he didn't rob their bank. Well, so if he, if he robbed the other bank, all that stuff doesn't matter. Um, do I've, you... I've, I've heard the – well, similar. I've, I've heard the analogy with Jeffrey Dahmer, who is uh, known for being a – a you know serial killer, and then oh here are, here are ten people that Jeffrey Dahmer met and didn't kill. Yeah, <laughs> therefore he's innocent. That's not it's not how it works. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Um, and I know this is speculation, but do you think there's any way that Deshaun Watson plays football for the Texans this year? Yes, I, I think that's a distinct possibility. I mean, it wasn't so long ago, maybe December, we were talking about him potentially holding out and him getting traded. You know, I think the, the real question is, will he see a football field in 2021 after some type of trade or him being released like Kareem Hunt was once upon a time from the Kansas City Chiefs? I, I think his suspension uh, is looming. I don't, I don't think until the DA's office really weighs in here and announces criminal charges outside of these 22 civil cases, that's going to tell us if there's going to be a suspension and how long it's going to be. We've seen in the history of the NFL, once criminal formal charges are filed, that's when the suspension comes. So... I, you know, I, I think it's premature either way. I don't, I don't think we can say right now that Deshaun Watson is going to play in 2021. And I don't think we say that he's, he's not going to play. But if there are potentially felony charges that come from this, which, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we know enough one way or the other, um, the NFL is not going to, you know, they're not going to just put, put a guy out there with pending criminal charges. So that's why there's uh, the commissioner's exempt list, which there's no time frame necessarily that a guy can, has to stay on that list for. The commissioner's exempt list is, is paid leave. So you can get a commissioner's exempt, we'll call it a quote-unquote suspension where you're not playing, or a true and tried suspension where you're suspended for X amount of games because of some bad action following an investigation. So between either of those two mechanisms, I'd, I'd say, uh, at least to me, I think it's unlikely that Deshaun Watson plays week one. Uh, beyond that, I, I think the jury is still out. No pun intended. We're joined by Dan Lust, sports lawyer and legal analyst uh, here on uh, sports talk with Jimmy Himes. I'm Vince Ferrara. So Dan, back to Deshaun Watson. You mentioned some of that, uh, or Jimmy asked you about that strategy of uh, that was used in talking about the masseuses that said he was fine. What about this battle of attorneys and some of their strategy? Because some have been really scratch your head type of uh, approaches and uh, and uh, and you know tactics that they have used 
on both sides. What stood out about the the two lead attorneys? Yeah, I mean, I guess where where we should start is really the first voice we heard in this case is Tony Busby, who assured us in his first, uh, if you can get this, his first Instagram post on the case, which turned out to be the first of many, he said, we will not litigate this case in the press. Uh, and as they say uh, on the Maury show, and that turned out to be a lie. Um, this case has been litigated in the, case, in the press almost every single day. So being a, an effective lawyer is just as much about winning the case as it's meeting expectations. So if you say you're not going to litigate the case in the press and then have any number of press conferences and Instagram posts where you're giving information, that's you know, obviously not going to paint you in the best light. Uh, the one that I, that, that, that I saw last week on the other end on Rusty Harden's situation, and guys, I should say both attorneys are, are very high-profile attorneys, particularly in Houston. Busby on the, the victim side has settled, you know, I think, $2 billion of cases. Rusty Harden's defended Roger Clemens. Uh, you know, he's defended James Harden, Adrian Peterson. He has a who's who of sports clients. But then out of Rusty Harden's mouth, we have, uh, you know, this is a case. This is from his press conference last week. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he says this is a case about modern communication, about text messages, Instagram messages, emails. Um, but when it comes to me, Rusty Harden, I am an idiot when it comes to modern communication. So uh, if you're wondering why someone, uh, a lead attorney on a case, calls himself an idiot when the, the crux of the case is about modern communication, it's a great question. I don't know why that would come out of someone's mouth. So, yeah, that's the danger of litigating a case in the press. You have people like me and that are kind of looking at every word and, and ready to kind of pull the case apart. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know necessarily why from the defense side you'd want to litigate this case in the press. I think if you're the defense side, you say as little as possible and you work as hard as you can behind the scenes to possibly settle this and make it go away. I don't know what benefit uh, there is to litigating the press on the defense side for, for this particular case. Unbelievable. Dan, what about some of these states that are adopting the NIL laws? What stands out to you uh, about where that's going? So uh, I think the most interesting one, it's a, you know, it's a battle going down over in the SEC, U of F, Florida, and uh, Miami, Florida State. Uh, those guys are all going to have name, image, and likeness legal as of July 1st of 2021. Florida was just joined, and it's the, the second state to join them is New Mexico. So those two states, as of July 1st, are going to be able to compensate their athletes in some way, shape, or form. The only two states in the entire country. So if everyone's curious... Why all these, uh, the transfer portal numbers are, are eking up over 1,000. Last, last time I checked, I think it was maybe 1,200 plus. Um, I think you'd be very uh, hard-pressed if you're an athlete and you're deciding between, you know, the Tennessee Volunteers or U of F or Miami. If there's an event of a tie, why wouldn't you go to the Miami schools and give yourself a chance to get paid? Um, so right now I think it's only six states in the country that have formally passed name, image, and likeness. Uh, and if the federal government doesn't come along with their own bill, those states and the order of when their date becomes effective are, are going to gain a, a sizable edge in recruiting. So the, the one thing I would watch out for, there has been whispers, rumblings, and I've been on panels where we've talked about it. There's a world where the NCAA actually sues the state of Florida and tries to enjoin their public universities uh, and restrict them. Uh, it's called an injunction to, for filing name, image, and likeness. So I gave you about a, a master class in state name, image, and likeness. Um, just know that July 1st is that big date. That's the first date that Florida athletes New Mexico athletes can actually receive compensation. Is there a distinction between the public school and the private schools in Florida in regard to this? I don't think so. I think both are both are bound to follow uh, follow state law. So maybe the NCAA just goes after all, all the Florida schools all, all in one shot. Florida Gulf Coast, Florida State. Um, 
Yeah, it's not something we've seen before. We haven't seen a, a individual schools sued by the NC for some type of injunction by following state law. Um, but, I mean, the, the law has been passed in Florida. This effective date we've known for about a year. So there's going to be fireworks one way or the other, be it June 30th or July 1st. Um, and that's maybe when the transfer portal starts to clear out. Wow. Uh, I want to ask you about a situation with Tennessee. They fired Jeremy Pruitt for calls. They say they don't owe him the remainder of his contract, which is about $12.6 million. He has hired an attorney, and I think it's from Dallas, to try to to um, recoup that money. Uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are with this case, but what, what are your thoughts on Tennessee firing a coach for calls and trying not to pay him and him hiring attorneys to try to get paid? Yeah, I was on with you guys a couple months back when the, the story first broke. I mean, it's, it's an interesting topic. For cause and not for cause, and that's why you hire fancy lawyers to draft the contract in the first place. Um, does this rise to cause? I think we're going to have to see what the investigation bears out. Obviously, allegations in and of themselves can't suffice as cause, but I, I remember, uh, you know, the McDonald's Happy Meal jokes going rampant on, on Twitter. Uh, it wasn't so long ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, they're going to fight over whether this rose to the level of cause, whether uh, certain uh, administrators, you know, putting out statements, um, you know, whether, whether those were admissions. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we've, we've seen this. I think uh, Cincinnati basketball had a version of this. Uh, maybe I think it was earlier this week where their coach uh, got fired. There's a question of whether or not it's for cause. We actually see this a lot. It's kind of done behind the scenes. But, you know, with million-dollar payouts, you know, you're, you're going to hire a lawyer and try to fight this. Uh, I, I can assure you that he's paying his lawyer less than a million dollars to fight for well over a million dollars. So, Cost-benefit analysis, you might as well take your shot. Well, and part of that with Cincinnati, right, that is the case, similar situation at Tennessee, is that the investigation wasn't over yet when they fired him. How significant is that point? It's big. I mean, I don't, I don't know why, you know, you would fire someone during the course of investigation. I think with the Cincinnati issue, it's, it's still up in the air, but same type of context. Uh, there was issues, I think, allegations to change recruits. So you'd like an investigation to bear itself out, and you'd like, and I know, you know, for these type of cases, an investigation is going to require speaking with people that were in favor of firing and people that were against the fire to get a full picture of, of events, you know, prior to the actual firing itself. So if you can establish, hey, you guys didn't do your full due diligence, you just wanted to fire him and you were looking for this as a precursor, you could say, hey, you didn't fully vet this, this question. So, I mean, you're going you're gonna to pick your spots, and if you can uh, bog a case down in litigation, maybe you don't get your full uh, entitlement under the contract, but there's some type of settlement you can work out. So you always bring the lawyers in, and you don't always get exactly what you think you're entitled to, but, you know, if you can make enough noise in the, in the media, maybe you can work that to your advantage and, and gain some type of settlement. Dan, what's going on from a legal standpoint with the Chargers in Los Angeles that's coming up? Oh, this is a, a fascinating one, guys. So uh, we'll, we'll start with this. There is a judge in Los Angeles that's going to decide the fate of the Los Angeles Chargers, Dean Spanos, who uh, we'll say he's uh, maybe public enemy number one over in San Diego, the former home of the Chargers. <laughs> he has a uh, three siblings that own the team altogether. Part of the team's owned in a trust. But um, I guess this is probably the easiest way to explain it. The Dean's sister, and I guess we all have, uh, at some point we have fights with our siblings. We don't have them on a multi-million dollar level. But <laughs> Dean Spanos' sister, who very confusingly is named D, D-E-A, has fi- hired a, a high-profile attorney 
to basically sue and ask a judge to force the sale of the team because the family trust is in debt of $350 million. And with the uh, current state of sports franchises, those can go for any, any number of billions of dollars. So she's trying to get 51% of the team up for sale, and she sought a judge's uh, approval to basically say that Dean Spanos has essentially run the team into the ground, and it's his uh, requirement as a fiduciary to sell the team and protect the family's assets. So that's going over in Los Angeles, and what uh, Vince, I assure you, has been probably the busiest week in sports law history. Unbelievable. Well, you can follow Dan on Twitter. It's at Sports Law Lust. Terrific podcast called Conduct Detrimental. Um, and so much. Uh, it's C-O-N Detrimental is a Twitter handle on that, but just search for the Conduct Detrimental podcast. Always incredible insight uh, and perspective. Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. We'll do it again real soon. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. All right. That Appreciate is Dan that. Lust. Always great stuff from, from him, Jimmy. Absolutely. And, Vince, we need to tell people that your hour with us right now brought to you by Waters Equipment Rental. That's right. Waters Equipment been in, in business here in the area for 48 years. Service, products, parts do a, an amazing job and just really proud to be able to tell everyone about this tremendous company that's right in our backyard that's been doing it family-owned for an awful long time. To join us, 656-9900, 1-866-656-9900. We are now joined, uh, as we go to the phones, by Steve. Hello, Steve. How you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Did the team do anything in practice yesterday or today? They are practicing today. They started about uh, 30 minutes ago. So we okay. don't have any report on what they're doing today yet, Steve. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I think, Jimmy, I've heard you say, and I agree fully with you, our offense might be pretty good next season. Mm-hmm. For the offense. <laughs> and unfortunately, obviously, the defense may be terrible. I mean, who knows? But uh, let me ask you this. Okay. Uh, young defensive tackles, uh, as far as recruits, Washington out of North Carolina, the kid out of Maryland, uh, and in the year before, the year before that, the boy out of Memphis. Uh, uh, yeah, Thomas. Uh, okay. The, uh, the year before, when we got the boy out of Memphis, who else, <clears throat> who else did we get in that class at defensive tackle? Did anybody? Uh, well, I think you were touching on this. I think Dominic Bailey was in that group. Uh, yeah, okay. from Maryland. From yep. Maryland, yeah. So yeah, okay. Um, so we got a, we got a boy from Maryland this year too, didn't we? That's correct. Okay. I, I uh, Steve, I, I I've only seen what they did Saturday, and I want to get Vince's take on this. I didn't see anybody on the defensive line that I like, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, yeah. I I like what I saw on the offensive line, but I thought the defense right. got pushed around. Vince, you were there Saturday. Uh, yep. Some of your observations. Well, it, it's it's not good for the defense. The, the, in all of the team settings, the offense got the advantage. Uh, I don't recall even a negative play created by the defense. Now, right. obviously, they're going up against tempo, and, and whether it's the newcomers or returning players, 
in a different system. They're not used to that going up against an offense in that tempo. But I think they would struggle regardless of the offense they were going up against. They don't right. have any stars in that uh, on that defensive line that we have seen so far. They're decimated at linebacker right now. Right. Um, you know, and, and then a number of players were were out, like uh, Amari Thomas wasn't there. Um, you know, they they still they still uh, Jaquan Blakely wasn't there. Tyler Barron uh, didn't do any of the team stuff. He just did a few of the individual drills. So they're undermanned. A you know, number of the linebackers are either hurt or suspended. So it's not the normal group. But even the normal group, Steve, I don't see how they're going to have enough difference makers uh, in that front seven to not get pushed around like Jimmy said they did on Saturday because they did on a regular basis. I think the most promising of maybe someone developing might be one of the guys you mentioned in Dominic Bailey from Baltimore. He's from St. Francis Academy, which is where incoming freshman Katron Evans is a summer enroll uh, that's the same school as he he's from. He's got good size. You know, maybe he could he could be a, a player for you uh, and develop quickly. Isaac Washington is one of those suspended players at the moment, and again, only a true freshman. I think it's a it's a group of of just experienced guys that that aren't difference makers, and that that's tough right now because the linebackers could really use their help, and honestly, the secondary could use the front se- the the front four's uh, help as well. One other thing is they did, Jimmy they, and Steve, they did a fair amount of three-down linemen with a stand-up outside backer uh, right at the line of scrimmage, which is what they did a lot last year. At least in the team settings, I saw a lot of that, and it wouldn't surprise me if they're in – that with maybe one true linebacker and then an extra DB as that other linebacker in sort of a 4-1-6 or 3-2-6, something to that effect. Or, you know, you could call a DB a linebacker, whatever you want. But I think that might be the route to go is go a little bit smaller with more back-end guys. But I don't think anybody is special on the back-end either to help you out with that. So it's it's a personnel issue right now unless this coaching staff can really develop some of these existing players that we haven't seen so far. Right. Okay. Well, to go 500, I won't fuss. I really yeah. won't. I'd agree with that. And, I think if they get 500, that would be an acceptable season. Right. And Steve, to your original question, the one thing I did see uh, from today is that Eric Kane will have, have more details on it, but apparently Jalen Hyatt was back at practice today. Which okay. we haven't seen him participating. Uh, he's been he's been limited and didn't do uh, hardly anything at all on Saturday. So that that's a promising sign as well. Right. Okay. Steve, well. we appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Tim is our next caller. Hello, Tim. Hey. Good afternoon, Jimmy. How's everything going today, sir? Going great. I hope it is with you as well. Hey, just doing the flower thing, brother, getting out here, throwing out some flowers and getting closer and closer to Mother's Day. So we make sure to get our get our guys, get yourselves out there, make sure have your mom get ready to go because when it's ready, I'll bring it to you. There you go. All right. All right. Hey, uh, listen, I just wanted to say good job on the weekend for the baseball team. Um, hey, don't get that last game. I thought we had that in the last one in there, but, hey, things happen. Um also wanted to get your take. Uh, the spring practice, like I said, looked pretty good. Uh, defense kind of, you know. Um, let me ask you a question. Um, 
the way the, the quarterbacks and stuff are going and everything, has there been any talk about maybe going somewhere else and bringing like a, a, a graduate transfer in as a quarterback again, or are we pretty much these are the guys? I think these are the guys. They did bring in Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech. Right. But I so they still think they might get um, – Caden Salter back at all? Or is there any word? Nothing? I would. I think he's going to be back before the end of spring. In fact, I'm surprised he's not back already. Right. But um, I, Vince, I don't see Tennessee bringing in another quarterback for this fall. Do you? Well, I, I hadn't heard a ton about it, but apparently some of the guys on the Sports Source on Sunday morning had, and that was brought up as uh, a possibility that they are are exploring that. So. If that's the case, that doesn't really speak well, that well, you would think, about one of two things, either what they like about their quarterbacks or the thought of, of keeping all of them, that maybe someone they do think will leave and you're trying to get a number back, even if it's someone, you know, even if it's just to sort of cover yourself versus trying to find a starter. Now, I don't know specific specifics of who they might, might be looking at, uh, if that's the case. But I, I, it's hard to rule that out, and we'll see what their final valuation is on it. It's interesting watching Josh Heupel on, uh, at practices. He is, he is pretty low-key. He's not a yeller by any means when you see him talking with the quarterbacks, and we have video of this a little bit on our website, 99.1 The Sports Animal, from the, the practice video that we put up there. Uh, in the video section, and you kind of see him talking to Hendon Hooker, and he's just very, very conversational, very, um, just very quiet and and seemingly encouraging. And we've seen audio of of what he said to the quarterbacks at times before as well. But he's not a screamer. There's other coaches that are more of the screamers, so it, it's difficult to really read too much into it. But I just kind of like his demeanor and the way he he does handle those QBs. What ultimately is going to be the test him is whether they're getting it done between the ears like they want, because the intelligence and the the decision making that's going to be the biggest thing more so than what we're looking at, and that's whether they're completing passes and what percentage of them they're doing so. Okay. All right, then. That's what, like I said, I just wanted to throw it out there and stuff and everything. I'm going to continue to get this stuff done. Guys, I appreciate it. Uh, Vince, keep up with the uh, MMA stuff. Still waiting to hear some more on my girl, Gabby, so she can come down and yep. beat some people up. I was hoping, I was hoping she might make an, <laughs> uh, an appearance at uh, WrestleMania, but our girl, Bianca, took the show there. So I like hearing when they mention her name, they mention Knoxville, Tennessee. So it's always good to hear that. So, guys, I appreciate Absolutely. it. Enjoy it and make the best of it. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Vince, uh, what were your observations of the quarterbacks on Saturday? I think overall as a group, Jimmy, the this this collection of three that we were able to see, I'd describe them as inconsistent. I still think that they they have a chance to be better than last year as a group. Now, I know that's not a very high bar. So I'm yeah. not really like making any grand declaration, but I think because you have guys that seemingly largely take care of the football, especially if Brian Maurer has improved in that area 
And because Maurer does look better than what we saw from him last year, he had a role sort of as a running quarterback coming in and spicing things up for a player or two, and, uh, and then he'd come, he'd come out of the game. Uh, I think he he can be more than just that. I think he seems renewed, refreshed, more confident and relaxed under the in this offense with Josh Heupel. Maybe it's the fact that Heupel recruited him when Heupel was at UCF and he was from down the road in Ocala, Florida. And I he, he just seems like he's more prepared to really, truly battle for the QB spot, which he really wasn't in the mix for last year. Uh, I thought he, he looked to me like QB1. Now, that's not a prediction because it, we're just looking at throws. They're evaluating them for much more, like I was mentioning, between the ears and the meeting rooms than what we are. But he looked to me like the guy that he was starting a lot of the drills. He, to me, had a, probably a little bit better accuracy than, than the other guys, especially Bailey. And just carried himself like a guy that was an alpha at that position, which is what you're looking for in the team 11-on-11 settings. A couple of times he made plays something out of nothing. Scrambled out of the pocket, threw a nice looping pass into the corner of the end zone, end zone in the back pylon and hit Ramel Keaton on the run. And then also he bobbled the snap, which popped up in the air in 11-on-11. He reached up to grab it, reeled it in, stepped up in the pocket, leaked out to his right, and then kind of threw a three-quarter arm slot uh, touchdown pass, a nice uh, shot to the back of the end zone to Princeton Fant for a touchdown. So he brings you that upside of playmaking when things break down. But you also have to wonder about it, that he still misses on some throws in very, very basic type of, of situations. And then you also have to wonder about the health as well with him because it's something that he's dealt with an awful lot. So he is not far and away the leader, but he looked to be that way. I would order them Maurer, Hooker, Bailey overall, but I thought all of them made some throws and then missed on some throws as well. That's Vince Ferrara and uh, his segment this time, this hour brought to you by Waters Equipment. Vince, uh, when I watched the quarterbacks, I, I thought there was an interesting drill that they went through, and that was they would take a snap and then fire a pass to the left 10 or 12 yards, wouldn't even take a, sn- a step, and wouldn't even grab the laces. They were just firing it out there to see how quick they could get rid of it, uh, obviously on some kind of a swing pass that they were doing. Did you notice that drill? I did. There were several that I I liked that I th- think were different than what we've seen. They did that. They also did a drill where a lot of fans maybe they saw the uh, the netting, the rolling net with you know the three holes in it that you would think, all right, that's the target for the quarterbacks. Well, it wasn't actually. That's the tall defender that the quarterback has to leap uh, loop the ball over and. Uh, one of the the staff members standing behind it. You got to complete the pass over it and and do it accurately. So they did that. They did a lot of cross body throws on the run, uh, more so than than I can remember seeing. They do some where you're you're throwing in your direction. You're scrambling to the to the right typically, uh, and then to the left that for the right handers. That's a cross body throw for them back, uh, some squared up and some back across their body. 
also they had the heavy bags where they dropped them in front of them and forced them to have presence of what's going around them like you would in a pocket. And if you got hit with it, uh, when somebody would drop it, then you'd have to come back and start it over. So that's all, you know, pocket present stuff. So little, little more different kind of intricacies with in drills with those quarterbacks that I thought were, uh, were, were really interesting. What did you think of the running backs? I like the group overall, Jimmy. I, I I don't know if there's a superstar in that group, but man, D Beckwith, especially to me, is really intriguing. He had a run, and I know there's video of it out there of of just bullying people and carrying people. Mm-hmm. I think he has a good enough bend at the waist to where he can get through some tough spots and not be a big target at that size. I mean, six five running backs, you just don't see that. Uh, so it is unusual. I think that's taller than even Jalen Hurd was, if I'm not mistaken, or very close to Yeah, there it. was so, an Auburn running back named Brandon Jacobs that was close to that height, too. You remember him? That's true. For yeah. the Giants. He ended up playing for the that's Giants. That's correct. Yeah. 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 So, but they are rare. And Jacobs, I think, was was filled out a little bit more. Beck with a 227 looks. I mean, he's a big guy, but he he looks maybe a little bit more muscular and sleek than that. Uh, and like I said, I think he has good bend. Uh, he is really intriguing to me. I wish you would would have been able to see Tyon Evans and team stuff because. I like him. I liked him coming in. You look at his thighs. My goodness. I mean, he has absolute tree trunk thighs to him. So I think he can give you some power and escapability there. We didn't get a chance to see Jabari Small, but he's been maybe the talk of camp coming into the open practice. Wish you would have been able to see Lenneth Whitehead, the redshirt freshman, who's also another big back, 6'2", 225, from Athens that – uh, he was in a black jersey, so he did a few of the individual drills, but didn't get a chance to really see him in teams. I know there's been some talk of whether he would move to linebacker or not. Apparently the coaching staff hadn't talked about that, and I think he's an, another intriguing option if he ever gets healthy. That was part of his issue last year and why he couldn't get in the mix. T. Hodge can give you some some power. And then Jalen Wright is, is up there in guys that I liked, what I've seen from him throughout camp and then certainly solidified that i think he has really good burst you heard me maybe ask jabari small you may have heard me ask jabari small about wright and evans and Mm -hmm. he said that he's really fast and i think that's another uh, another aspect that that group needs jimmy when you line up all of the scholarship running backs all of them are over 200 pounds including jalen wright Wright's 5'11", 200, at least the way he's listed. But it's uh, typically you got some smaller backs in there mixed in with some bigger backs. And, and maybe this was Jeremy Pruitt's philosophy of going that direction. I mean, they, all these guys are over 200 pounds at running back from between 200 and 227. So they've got some power in that group, which does, I think, fit what Josh Heupel in this offense wants to do. They want to spread defenses out and power run you. And I think you're going to see a lot of that. And I think they have some good candidates to do it, even if it's in a in a uh, um, a collective unit right now. That's Vince Ferrara. 